I'm Sean. You are here or there, wherever there is, and we're glad you're here. So we're working through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 20 is where we're going to be. Matthew 20. And uh, for those of you who have been around here a while, you're going to understand what a weighty, significant, monumental Sunday today is. Okay? Because today, you know what we're going to do today? We are going to finish a whole chapter in only two Sundays. Well, okay, wait a second. In about 30 minutes, we'll see if we finish the whole chapter in, uh, in two Sundays. But Matthew 20, if you've got a paper copy on your phone, while you're turning there, we got a little video announcement we want to show to you while you guys are turning there. So here we go. Hey, church. It's Scott. After a summer hiatus for youth, for youth group, we want to announce that we are starting back up again this coming Sunday. Youth group will be held during the first service and we'll do what we did last year where we join the church for the first set of worship and then we will excuse ourselves and we'll meet in the foyer and head to the youth room um, in the other building. So, just wanna make that announcement. Also, we have another announcement along with youth group and that is that Emily, who grew up in this church, is gonna do an internship with us this year uh, and help out with, with youth group. So I just wanna give her uh, just a little bit of time to just share her heart and and uh, her, her opportunity here. Hi guys, I'm Emily Resch. Um, a lot of you guys may have known me, may not. I have grown up in this church for 18 years, plan on growing up in this church still, and I'm excited to be a part of the youth group. And so hope to see you guys uh, next week. Also, if you need to contact me, you can get on uh, MCC's website and go to my uh, email if you want to email me about any uh, children you might have uh, coming or any questions you might have for me. So see you next week. So if you have questions for Scott or you want to get connected, you can email him, but the best way is just to text the word Monmouth 97000, fill out a connect card, and then interact uh, with us there. Uh, but next week, 9 a.m. during the 9 a.m. service, our youth group stuff is starting back up. Uh, Matthew 20. Okay, you got it? Matthew 20. Now, what we're going to read today is going to be uh, what feels like, as we're going to read through them, two disconnected stories. Well, what it's going to feel like is we're going to read one kind of arc of a story that has its start and then comes to a completion, and then we're going to come into a totally other story. But my hope is that by the time we're done today, you're going to see that the second story we're actually looking at, the end of Matthew 20, is actually an exclamation point for the whole of the last two chapters that we've been looking at over the last two months. So here we go. Let me just read them to you, and, and we're going to work our way through. So Matthew 20 says this. As Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is a, a Hebrew title for the Messiah or the Savior, will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised." Now, here, here's one of the things that I, I want you to hear and know and see as we're looking to this passage. Jesus, I, I adamantly believe that if you spend time in Scripture, that you will learn that Jesus is not unclear. 
You may think that Jesus is confusing or unclear about what he's saying or what he expects of you, but when you dig yourself into the actual words of Jesus, Jesus is not unclear. I mean, let's just look at just what he just told the disciples. Now, they're gonna be really confused, but that's kind of par for the course of the disciples, right? He, he, is, he, he spent his ministry um, kind of out in the more remote parts and the edges, and anytime crowds come, right, you'll see crowds begin to gather. He'll minister maybe a little bit, but then he'll say to the disciples, he'll say, come with me, let's, let's go across the lake. Let's go over to that town. Let's go to this place. And he'll leave. But at this point, his ministry has changed. He's turned, and at some point, he fixed his face on Jerusalem. And he is walking towards the climax of his ministry in the death and resurrection, uh, of his death on the cross and his, and his resurrection, right? And so he, he's told the disciples this before, right? If, if you read Matthew 20, I mean, if you read all the first 20 chapters of Matthew, he said the same thing over and over and over. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to go. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. But don't worry. I'm going to raise again, right? But right before they go to walk into the city and really ramp up the temperature of this whole conflict, and really when Jesus leans forward into the conflict, a lot of times when the conflict begins to begin, he kind of backs away a little bit and pushes the conflict out into the future. But he's going to lean forward into it. And if the disciples don't understand what he just said, or if we didn't understand, it'd be shocking how this goes. Because the whole time Jesus has been saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then all of a sudden this king they see is marching into a city that will kill him. But he's explicitly clear to the site, like I'm gonna go, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna die, but I'm gonna be raised up. And says this, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. Just envision this socially awkward moment we have going on here. Grown men went crying to their mommy to get their mommy to come to their boss. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus, he sees right through this charade, right? I mean, have you ever asked your mommy to go talk to your boss about getting a pay raise? Like, this is what's going on here, right? The, the two grown men couldn't get their way with Jesus, so they go, mommy, he'll, he'll be really nice to you. Can you go ask, Right? And Jesus sees right through. In fact, you see who Jesus responds to. He doesn't respond to their mom. He responds to them. He says this, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they, being the two, said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup, you shall drink. You're going to die. Following me is going to lead to your public execution. And it does for almost every single one of the disciples. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, hearing that Jesus gave them the opportunity to go and die. Do you, are you following the flow here? This is what Jesus is saying. You, yeah, 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 yeah. You can drink from the same cup. You can be mocked and scourged and beaten and eventually killed. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. I want to die too. Right? It's not what they say, because as the disciples do, they often miss the point. But Jesus called, called them to himself and said, 
you know that the rulers of the Gentile lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be a servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The, the arc of the story ends where it began. Jesus bringing his disciples together and saying, hey, 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 look, 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 this looks different than you think it's going to look. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting a position of authority, a position of significance, but he says the way that looks looks different than you think it does. And then we have this other story that feels odd and out of place. Let me read it to you, and then I'm going to explain to you why it feels odd and kind of jolting and out of place, okay? At least why I read it as being out of place. Ready? Here it goes. Verse 29. As they were leaving Jericho, so another event, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. That's another title for the Messiah or the Savior. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately regained their sight and followed him. So you see, um, th this is why it's awkward. Jesus is telling him, I'm going to go, we're going into Jerusalem, and I'm going to go into Jerusalem. And, and the most traumatic, shocking, world-changing event is about to occur. And I need you to prepare yourself for this incredible moment that's going to happen. And in Matthew 21, we begin these steps of this growing conflict that, that consummates with his death and his resurrection. But all of a sudden, Matthew just like pauses for a really ordinary, boring, unimpressive event. To heal two men that nobody cares about, that nobody knows their name, and an act that Jesus has done a multitude of times before. There's nothing, there's almost nothing shocking or surprising or unexpected about these verses. And here's why this is so surprising, okay? Um, to us Western thinkers, 20th, 21st century thinkers, uh, we view biographies with a very different lens than the ancient Near East did, Right? We think that what undergirds a good bio, uh, bio... Did I say biology earlier? Maybe I said it in my head. Biography, what undergirds a good biography is chronology, right? In fact, great biographies have been completely discredited because if one detail of an event is out of order, we discredit the whole thing. It's the way we think. And we think because it's the, the way we grew up, it's the way we were taught, it's the way our brains work and the culture that we exist. We think that's the only way you can tell a story. But here's the deal. In the ancient Near East, what undergirds a story is not chronology, is the message. Okay? So, so this is what this means. Um, there is no refuting, there is no argument that Matthew's biography of Jesus, what we have is the gospel according to Matthew, nobody argues it's in a chronological order. It, it wasn't his concern. It wasn't, it wasn't what he was trying to do. He's trying to tell a point. And so what Matthew does, maybe more than any of the others, Luke is the closest. Luke is the closest to being chronological. But maybe more than anyone else is Luke is trying to tell you something even in the way he orders his book. Let, let me explain to you this way. Um, Matthew is a... 
Jew, and he's writing to a bunch of Jews, okay? We talk about that often because we want to remind ourselves that it changes the way we read the book, right? And so one of the preeminent, most significant people in the Jewish faith is Moses. He's the man who leads the people out of oppression, out of slavery. He leads them through the Red Sea. He takes them out in the desert. He tells them what it means to be the people of God. He teaches them and shows them what it means to be the people of God. And then he's supposed to be the one that leads them into the promised land. Now he doesn't, but he's supposed to be the one that leads them into the promised land. So Matthew's book is a message, one of the messages in Matthew's book is that, is that Moses is a uh, new, some have said a new and better, that Jesus is a new and better Moses, right? So in fact, the birth story of Jesus is organized in a way that should make us think of Moses because he's writing to a Jewish audience and he's kind of the founder, founding father of this nation and so we should think of him. In, in fact, um, the foundational text of the Jewish faith is the, the Pentateuch. It's also called the books of Moses, right? And, and you know how many books are in the Pentateuch? There are five. There are five books. It's called the Pentateuch because there's five books, right? And so if you actually, if you took your Bible and you um, took all the pages, and maybe if you have a red letter Bible, this would be really easy to see, and you laid them all out in a row, what you would see would be a block of black text, and a block of red text, a block of black text, and a block of red text, right? You have action and teaching, action and teaching, action and teaching. You have five sections of teaching because Matthew is organizing Jesus' teaching as the new Pentateuch, as the new book of the law, right? As the new, as the new Moses, as the new and better Moses, right? So what's surprising and odd about this is that Matthew does not feel constrained to tell things in order chronologically. He tells things in order of making a point, okay? So when we come to this story, feel this arc. We come to this story, tensions building. The young rich ruler just got rejected by, well, not really rejected by Jesus, but walked away from Jesus, right? It's building and it's building and it's building. Jesus is saying, I'm gonna walk through those walls and they're, they're, they're gonna beat me and they're gonna arrest me and they're gonna hand me over and I'm gonna get scourged and I'm gonna get crucified and are you with me? And this is what it's gonna look like. And right before we get to chapter 21 where it just starts to go, Matthew goes, Boop, and Jesus healed two blind guys, right? It, it's weird. It's, it's out of place. Matthew's trying to tell us something in the way that he structured the story. In, in the most tense moment between Jesus and the disciples building towards Jerusalem, all of a sudden, we have this story about two guys who can't see and Jesus heals. What do you want from me? And here's, here's, here's what they say. What do you want from me? We want to see like you see. That's what Matthew's trying to, t- to get us to see. The request of these two men is, we want to see like you see. Look, think back to Matthew 19, where this whole kind of story starts. Matthew 19, we have um, some people bringing children to Jesus. And uh, the disciples, here's the thing about the disciples. There's a lot of things that the disciples understood and they knew. One of the things they knew is that there are people of significance. There are important people, even in the kingdom of God, there are people that are raised up, 
right? That God elevates these people and says, these people are special and appointed. And, and, and even in my kingdom, that, that they hold a seat of honor, right? There are people that, that are more special. And, and they see these kids and they see the rabbi, this, this Messiah, the Savior, and they see these kids. And what they see when they see the kids are snotty-nosed nuisances, and we talked a couple weeks ago about how our culture views children totally differently than they did. They were unwanted, uncared for, unneeded, unnecessary, a burden. And what Jesus sees, when he sees the same children coming to him, you remember what he says? He says, the kingdom belongs to them. This is the foundation. This is the center of what it means to be a part of my kingdom. The, 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 the disciples saw a nuisance and Jesus saw the center of his kingdom. And then a guy comes, uh, an important guy, the young rich ruler. And, and this is a scenario where I've got to imagine the disciples saw him coming and they're like, oh, now that's someone important, right? He's got money, he's got power, he's moral. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about what a, what a right, upright, good guy he was. And Jesus, he sees him coming and he's not impressed. And the guy, the guy comes to Jesus and he wants to know, he wants to know how to get eternal life. He, here's what the guy knows. He knows that amongst all of his notoriety and all of his stuff and all the access he has to everything, that something's still lacking. So he comes to Jesus and he wants to know, Jesus, what is, how do I get to eternal life? How do I get to this kingdom thing? How do I get to like the fullness of life? And Jesus tells him, Sell everything and follow me. Now, we just always have to remember, it's not about his stuff, it's about his identity. But, but here's, here's what happens. He comes to Jesus and he wants to see a path forward and what Jesus tells him looks different than he wants. And so he goes away sad. What the young rich ruler saw as a path to life looked different than Jesus did. So he goes away sad. And then the disciples send their mommy to go talk to Jesus because they want to be rich and powerful and meaningful and have significance in their life. And, and, and they see this moment, this opportunity. If, if the king is coming into the king's city, coming into Jerusalem, coming into the capital, they see this moment to capture on being a part of this mighty and powerful kingdom that's rising and ascending. They get to be a part of that. And they come because they want to have a significant role in it. And Jesus tells them, it looks like dying what they saw looked different than what Jesus saw. And then Matthew tells us a story about two people who couldn't see, and Jesus gives them sight. What do you want? We want to see like you see. You see, what's been going on in this whole story and the challenge to us is the times and ways that we don't see the way Jesus sees. I think this is what Matthew's trying to say. If he summed up the two chapters in one sentence, I think, I think Matthew's trying to tell us this. There is a way to see without seeing. There is a way to be blind. There's a way to see the world and yet still be blind to the things of God. They saw kids who were a nuisance and God saw them as the center of the kingdom. They saw a man of great wealth and God saw a man desperate in need of life in him. The, the young rich ruler saw a path forward to life and Jesus saw a path to sacrifice. The disciples saw a path to significance and important and Jesus saw the cross. There is a way to see without seeing. So it made me wonder, 
what, how would you answer the question? Like if Jesus asked you the same question, notice he actually asks the same question to the, the two young guys as he does to the young rich ruler, as he does to the mom of the two disciples. What do you want? What do you want? Disciples wanted notoriety. They wanted significance. They wanted power. They wanted uh, uh, prestige. They wanted to know that their life mattered. What do you want? I think all of us are here today because there's something we want. Like, like, like we would not take this time out of our life to come here or to join online or whatever that looks like for you if we didn't know that there was something that we want from Jesus. So if Jesus asked you today, what do you want? Remember, I, I don't think Jesus is unclear. So maybe, maybe, maybe this. Maybe you're thinking, um, I'm here because I am in desperate need of freedom. I have an addiction. I have a brokenness. I have a bondage. And I need freedom from it. I'm here because in all the disciplining I've done of myself, in all the game plans I've come up with, with every strategy I figured out, it's still been lacking and I need freedom from this thing. I think that if you prayed that prayer, if you pursued God in that, you'd hear him whisper, it's time to sacrifice. No, 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 Jesus. I think, I, think, I think maybe you misunderstood. I was talking about freedom, not sacrifice. Because there's a way to see without seeing. God, God I, I need healing. Like my heart is broken and in angst and, and torn apart and there's scar tissue all in it and scripture says that you are a great healer, that you would take the heart of stone and you'll put a heart of flesh in me, that you'll heal and redeem and restore all the things that are in me. And I, Lord, I need healing from all that stuff that happened, all that stuff that's going on. I need healing. And I think what you'd hear the Savior whisper is it's time to forgive. No, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Like, aren't you the surgeon? Like, don't you, like, you do the work on my heart. I just lay there. Like, I got laughing gas, and I just lay there on her, and you fix it. And Jesus would say, if you want to find healing, it comes down the path of forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you just, like, have gone through the motions, and maybe you look a lot more like the young rich ruler than you imagine, and you've just come to a point where you realize, like, Another promotion, another vacation, another toy isn't going to fill anything that I want my life to have meaning and reverberate out into eternity. And Jesus is going to say to you, then, then come and die. Come and give yourself. <laughs> Jesus, like, I, I want someone to make a statue of me. Then come and die. Maybe, maybe today, like, if you were honest and, like, Jesus was to say, like, what do you want from me? Like, God, I want peace. This world is such a chaotic mess. And there's angst in me, and there's fear, and, and I lay in bed at night, and I can't go to sleep because my mind is spinning all over on all these things, and I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about these things, and I wake up in the morning stressed thinking about these things, and God, I just want peace, and your scripture says that you will give a peace that transcends all understanding. God, I want peace. And he'd say to you today, it's time to let it go. 
It's time to let go your control or at least the perception that you ever had control over your life. It's time to trust me. If you will simply trust me that I'm good and I'm able. See, here's the deal. Jesus is not unclear. When we come to him and say, God, God, this is what I want. His scripture over and over. Maybe it's life. Maybe it's freedom. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's a future. He's not unclear. The problem is, is that so often our path looks different than the path he lays before us. He, 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 let me say it this way. Um, I, I think a lot of us have, um, I, I call a Princess Diana theology, right? Um, Princess Diana was a woman who lived in the other century before this one, for those of you who don't know. Um, this, is, this, is, this is the part of my ministry where I can start dating myself really awkwardly, right? Um, she lived in the other century and she was a princess. That's why we call her Princess Diana. That wasn't her first name. Um, unlike Pickaboo Street, which is another woman who was famous in the other century. And her real first name was Pickaboo because her parents uh, didn't want to oppress her with a name and so they let her pick her own name. So at three, her favorite game was Pickaboo. You can Google and look it up. And so she called herself Pickaboo. And so that's why Street's just because that's a cool last name. Anyways, Princess Diana theology. Here, here's, what, here's what I mean. A lot of us have this prayer, right? And I don't know if it's inherently a bad prayer, but it comes from this theology of, God, if you'll give me more, then. Right? God, God, if you'll give me more money. I mean, God, you saw my bank account. You know I'm broke. If you'll give me more money, then I will gladly help people who are struggling. God, if you give me a little bit more talent, then I'll gladly serve other people. God, if, if you kind of clear up my schedule and take care of these things, then I will gladly serve you. And we all think, we all think that like part of following Jesus is, is um, being a benevolent princess, that if God would just give us more, now let's be honest, okay? Um, if God gave you more, you, your prayer might be, God, if, if, you, if you gave me money, time, resources, opportunity, influence, if you gave me the promotion, gave me the spouse, gave me the kids, gave me the relationship, then I would give it all to you. Well, I mean, not all of it, because that would be a lot, but maybe, God, I would give you 90% of it. Right? Like if you, if you did all, if you gave me all these, well, I mean, 90% is a lot. Maybe like 60%. I'd serve people with 60% of, uh, well, that still kind of puts the, like I have less than. So maybe God, I'll, I'll, I would give you 47%. See, a lot of us, just like the young rich ruler, just like the disciples, see a path forward to meaning and life and purpose but it looks different than Jesus. And our eyes are blind to the things that God's calling us to. Because you see, here's the deal. Few in human history will ever have the opportunity to be Princess Diana unless you have some royal family in England that I don't know about. But every single one of us has an opportunity today to be like a woman named Teresa from a tiny place that nobody cared about called Calcutta, spending years and decades in obscurity serving people that nobody else cared about. She'll have a statue. She'll have a place of honor. Every single one of us has that opportunity. But so often the call of Jesus looks different 
than we see it. There is a way for us to live this life to where we see, but we do not see. May our prayer be today. God, give me your eyes. Lord, Lord, we, we, we want to see like you see. We want to see people the way you see people. We want to see our spouses the way you see our spouse. We want to see our kids. We want to see our coworkers. We want to see this world the way that you see. Lord, open our eyes so that our hearts might break for the things that break yours, so that we might rejoice over the things that you rejoice over. Lord, may it be in us, in this church, in this world, 